The government has given oil companies the green light for more drilling and hydraulic fracturing to take place on the North Island's east coast and in Taranaki. Many believe that if the exploration is successful, it could result in an oil boom that could be an economic game-changer for New Zealand. But as this Insight program reports, for many of those living close to the drilling sites, it's not just the rocks far below the Earth's surface that stand to be fractured, but their communities and way of life as well. As expectations of an oil boom in the North Island grow, so too does the conflict between those who stand to gain from it and the rural communities forced to live side by side with petroleum industry activities. For some, the drilling and hydraulic fracturing or fracking activities that mine the oil and natural gas from far below the Earth's surface offer employment, opportunity and wealth. The benefit to, to the whole village as opposed to any individual business, there were those businesses, no doubt, that profited directly from them being here, extra people in our town, and we don't get a lot of tourists, even though it's a wonderful place. So any, any extra bed hired for the night or meal had in the town or coffee that you're about to have this afternoon bought in Dannyburg, hello ladies, is, is a great benefit to the town. But for those in the rural areas where it's taking place, literally in their backyards, there's fear their own little slice of God zone is being turned into a living hell. It was a sad day the day I realised that if we weren't so closely anchored to the great land, yeah, I'd go. I'd leave Taranaki, you know, because we don't know which area is going to be developed next. Tikarangi's just the start. No, Uranui's in line next. Leperton, I believe, is in line. Brixton, Bell Block, there's talk of Aokura. Inglewood, it's everywhere. I'm Benedict Collins, and in this week's Insight, we take a look at some of the economic benefits and social costs of the high-impact oil and gas extraction taking place in rural areas of Taranaki and the east coast of the North Island. The function at Parliament for awarding the permits was like an awards ceremony. In December, the government gave out 10 new permits for oil and gas exploration in New Zealand, five offshore and five onshore in Taranaki and on the east coast. The announcements were reported by Radio New Zealand News. The Energy Minister Simon Bridges said New Zealand is underexplored and that to date all its oil and gas has come from just one of its 18 basins. Taranaki. If any one of our other 17 basins has anything like the success of Taranaki, it would be an economic game changer for our nation. Simon Bridges isn't alone in believing oil and gas could increasingly power New Zealand's economy. A 2013 government report on the potential of oil and gas development on the East Coast found that if the initial exploration shows extraction is commercially viable, there is potential for a significant oil boom. The study by the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment found such a boom could transform not only the regions, but the country's overall economy. It suggested between 200 and 2,300 jobs could be created on the East Coast, depending on the level of drilling undertaken. Under the most optimistic scenario, based on large-scale, long-term extraction taking place, New Zealand's GDP could rise by more than 9%. Several exploratory wells have already been constructed on the east coast. One of them was drilled last year at Ngāpairuru in the Tararua Ranges near Dannyvirk. The Tararua Mayor, Roly Ellis, spoke to me one lunchtime during a visit to Wellington about what he sees as the benefits of exploration. He thinks oil and gas could give the district a much-needed second string to its economic bow. So we do rely very, very heavily on agriculture at the moment. 
with only 17,500 people, uh, you can imagine that um, we really need to expand our in fact, businesses, uh, and we need a real selection of businesses, and oil could possibly be one of them. We're not saying uh, that we need to expand in the agricultural base um, more and more, because I think it's going to become more difficult, especially in the uh, hill country. Uh, there's still a small area or two that could be taken on by more dairy farms, but it's all on the flatland. The hill country is predominantly where they're looking for oil. Mr Ellis says while the regional and district councils wouldn't benefit directly from any oil boom, he hopes central government will keep them in mind if there is one. It's oil companies and the government gets a percentage uh, take as well. Uh, what we would uh, like to think is that the government would realise that if it comes from our land and they put that money back into roads, hospitals, etc, etc, obviously they're not going to give us the whole lot. Um, but it'd be nice to think that you know they will, in fact, give us a lot of uh, new, yeah, in fact, infrastructure. That's what we're really looking for, to be quite honest. The other thing is, is that the oil companies, I have talked to them, and if there is a site that is up a metal road, then we would hope that the oil company would actually make quite sure that that's been properly sealed and it may be widened a tiny bit as well. About 70 workers were based in and around Dannyvoke during the exploratory drilling in 2013, spending an estimated $10,000 a day in the local economy. The chair of the Dannyvoke Chamber of Commerce, Suresh Patel, is also the local fruit and vegetable store owner. He says that before the drilling began, businesses in the town were equally divided on whether or not it was a good thing for the community. I think a lot of people didn't realise what the implications would have been or what what was actually involved with the oil exploration uh, and I think the, the township itself were probably un, unsure and that's maybe the reason why there was a 50-50 split um, but after a lot of research and, and a lot of people doing their own uh, investigations um, I think it swayed for a lot of uh, support towards the uh, oil exploration after a, after a period of two, two three months. I've just finished speaking with Suresh Patel, the chair of the Chamber of Commerce and local fruit and veggie store owner. Now I'm taking a walk down High Street, the main road of Dannyvirk. I'm going to pop into the Dannyvirk Hotel here and see what they made of the petroleum industry coming to town. Hi there, Amanda. I'm Benedict from Radio New Zealand. How's Hi, it going? Nice to meet you. Good, thank you. Good, good. Hey, so tell me, when the petroleum guys, the drilling guys, came to town, did you notice a business increase here? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it was lots of fun and lots of hard work. And um, I think most businesses had some benefit from it, from what my feedback was on the on the whole event. They stayed six weeks, which was longer than they were supposed to. So that was partly to do with weather and so forth. Yeah. So we had. Uh, a lot of fun, yeah. Right, so how many guys were staying at the um, hotel? We had 20 uh, yep. to start with, um, and uh, and they did uh, shifts on and off all day, so yeah, it was full on. And they enjoy a drink as well? Oh yes, yes, they're good at that, <laughs> right. as you'd expect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Hard good at work. eating and yeah, yeah, showing us pictures of their fancy cars and motorbikes and so on. Yeah. And you'd welcome for more drilling back in the Dannyburg area? Um, yes, I have no problem with it, obviously. Um, it's better to have a pub full of life than not. <laughs> it's a view shared by others in the town. One worker's enthusiastic response bring it on. 
The company which did the drilling, Tag Oil, isn't disclosing just yet what it found at the Naparuru site. But its chief operating officer, Drew Cadenhead, says the company has permits for 800,000 hectares on the east coast and that the company is looking to drill 8 to 10 more exploratory wells on the coast over the next two to three years as it gathers data to see if a widespread campaign is feasible. While those I spoke with on the main road of Dannyverk were all for oil and gas development, leaving town and travelling the 20 or so kilometres towards the drilling site itself, I met some folk who have a very different take on the issue. The closer to the action, the more people there are who are gravely concerned about the impact the development is going to have on their lives. I'm here at the Naparuru Tag Oil Exploratory Development Site in the Tararuas with Donald James, who's a spokesperson for local farmers who are concerned about the drilling and fracking coming to town. For a lot of people it was uh, pretty frightening going on the road and uh, for a lot of people it was very disempowering because they weren't consulted or involved in any of the decision making at any point um, and their road was subject to such a lot of heavy traffic and you've driven the road you'll see how narrow it is. Yeah it was, it was a major issue for them. I mean a lot of people are very concerned about their water supplies. Um, we're standing on uh, next to a big limestone hill called Tutorera and that supplies a lot of spring water to, to a lot of people around here. So immediate, people in the immediate vicinity are concerned about, about their water. Those of us who rely on rainwater for our stock and, uh, and ourselves are concerned about if we have a lot of flaring in the district, uh, what that could do to our, to our water supplies. Been subjected to really what is a lot of misinformation um, by the oil industry. Um, when we were originally concerned about fracking, we were told, well, why are you worried about fracking? Because this is only exploratory. Um, <clears throat> now we see we've got two men from the from Dakota being flown in by Tag Oil, obviously uh, specialists in, in, in fracking. Um, so what we feared all along has... Uh, this appears to be coming to pass. Fracking is different from conventional oil drilling. It involves water and chemicals being forced at extremely high pressure to fracture rocks to access gas. Most of the fracking done to date in New Zealand has occurred in Taranaki. As the Director of Environment Quality at the Taranaki Regional Council, Gary Bedford, explains, now that most of the easily accessible gas and oil in the region has been found, the next step is fracking. The new shift is towards technology that enables some of the harder to get hydrocarbons to be produced. Uh, and essentially this process involves forcing water together with a what substance called a propant down into your uh, gas bearing formation and you use the pressure of the water to actually force micro cracks to develop uh, in a short distance into the formation. Uh, typically we're talking maybe 100 metres uh, long maybe 20 metres wide in terms of these uh, fractures. And the propant, which is something like sand or ceramic beads, uh, is carried by the water into the fractures. The pressure is then released and the propant uh, means that the cracks are held open. You then have a flow path for the hydrocarbons in the formation to flow more readily back up to the surface. The Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, Jan Wright, who is carrying out an investigation into fracking, told Parliament that there are three different types of fracking that could or are already taking place in New Zealand. The tight sands fracking taking place in sandstone in Taranaki. Coal seam fracking, where coal is fracked to get methane from it, which could potentially take place across the country, particularly in Canterbury, Otago and Southland. The shale fracking that may take place on the east coast, which will be similar to what's happening on a huge scale in the United States.
Regional and district authorities on the East Coast have been looking to Taranaki to learn from its experience, but Dr Wright told Parliament in 2012 the two regions can't be compared. We can't simply say things have gone morally so OK in Taranaki bar a few glitches, because that's what it appears, although I don't have a closer look at that. And you can't just say that and extrapolate from there into the coal seam gas and the shale fracking in other parts of the country. Hawke's Bay, Gisborne and Wairarapa are very different from Taranaki. First of all, there's the shale rather than the tight sands, but the geology is different. The rocks are much more folded and faulted. One of the difficulties with drilling and fracking is what to do with the waste it generates. In Taranaki, drilling waste from onshore and offshore sites consisting of muds, hydrocarbons and chemicals used for lubrication in the drilling process has been disposed of on farmland, a process known as land farming. The theory is that over time, microbes in the soil will break down the contaminants, leaving pasture fit for livestock. There are 12 land farms in Taranaki. Nine of them are dairy farms. Six of them have now been closed, with the remainder still receiving waste. While the majority of fracking waste, a chemical-laced liquid known as frac flowback fluid, is disposed of in Taranaki back down the well from which it came, it's also been sent to a Taranaki land farm, although the council says it's only ever issued one consent for that to happen. The practice of land farming is controversial and will be examined by Dr Wright in her report. And the Ministry for Primary Industries announced in December that it will now begin to monitor milk that comes from Taranaki's land farms, as well as milk coming from neighbouring farms. While land farming has been taking place in Taranaki for about 15 years, the Ministry doesn't know if its random testing at Meatworks has ever sampled an animal from one. Dr Wright told Parliament her interim finding was that if best practices followed, fracking could be done safely, and problems like water contamination and earthquakes avoided if properly regulated. And the regulators will be under the spotlight in the full fracking report due out this year. But what fracking does is provide the potential for scaling up of the oil and gas industry and its expansion into new parts of the country. So scaling up within and beyond Taranaki. And so it does mean that other environmental impacts that or risks that are associated with oil and gas production outside of fracking are also going to accumulate in this issue of cumulative risks. So you can't just look at the fracking bit separately from the rest. In Taranaki, the Naruhina iwi has protested against both land farming and fracking operations. Its chief treaty negotiator, Daisy Noble, says the iwi has often felt left in the dark by the oil companies and local authorities. But she acknowledges the industry provides employment. Yep, on one hand it provides employment, but on the other hand, whatever falls out from that. I mean, imagine a guy who's driven a truck and he's taken a load of waste to a particular place, and then the full implications, if there are implications, happens. And then they suddenly realise, should I dump that load? What do you think that does to a person? We should be made fully aware, and that's the key. The drilling wastes from the Dannyburg and Gisborne sites will go to existing land farms in Taranaki. Tag Oil's New Plymouth office has recently been targeted by protesters who are seething over the company drilling near the base of Mount Taranaki. Daisy Noble says the mountain is sacred and an historical place of refuge for local Māori. It's 220 metres from the, the tree line of the mountain. The interesting thing about that is, is that there is a method called directional drilling. 
So although you don't actually have your jewel site sitting on the mountain, you can have it sitting on the side, but still go underneath. And that's, that's the part that I do know, and I feel, that that is exactly what's going to happen. Tag Oil is on the record as saying it won't drill or frack beneath the mountain. Its chief operating officer, Drew Cadenhead, says the protests are often fuelled by what he says is misinformation on the internet. But he doesn't deny drilling has an impact on the communities in which it takes place and says the company does what it can to minimise the effects. The main impacts that we see and, and we know that impact those people around the drilling operations that we have are probably noise uh, from the rig itself. If you're very close, if you're within a few hundred metres of the rig, then you can hear it and it's a 24-hour operation and it's like an engine running and, and certainly that, that is not a, a pleasant thing to have as you're trying to sleep at night. Uh, traffic, increased traffic, as I said. Uh, with noise, what we do for people who are very close uh, and, they, and they are affected by it, we try to do everything we can to mitigate that. We have offered and, and quite often installed double-glazed windows in people's houses or, or soundproofing curtains, this sort of thing, to try and to try and keep the noise out while we're there. As far as traffic goes, we have to employ very strict traffic conditions, so we keep our, our trucks at a very slow speed, usually 30 kilometres an hour, on all the on local roads while we're moving the rigs in and out. Back at the Ngāpairuru site in Tararua, Donald James says farmers are concerned about what drilling and future fracking will do to their land values. People are very concerned about their property values. We're, we're sitting next to land that a number of farms right near where we are on the market can't get a bid on them. And that's something that all companies are beginning to admit, is this is a drop in rural property values uh, when they come to town. So, and that's a huge concern for people living in places like this. They work their whole lives, build up a capital base. If you can't sell your farm, how, how are you going to retire? We've left Annivirk now and we've headed through Pahia Tour. We're off to meet Alan Kilger. He's the farmer who allowed Tag Oil access to his property in Tararua. You've allowed a um, oil company access onto a yeah. Onto your paddock up there. What was in your mind when you said, "Hey, you, you can come on"? Well, I thought, well, it's going to happen anyway, isn't it? you know. So you never go along or, or not. But if you don't go along, they're going to just go to the neighbours and go under our place anyway. So I'll just let them have it, eh? Any idea what they found under the property? No, not really. No, it's, well, they said they found it, but yeah, that's about it. You, you know, you're telling me uh, just before there's been some protests and stuff like that up by the farm. What did you make of that? Um, yeah, I never really got too involved with it, eh? so I stayed out of it. But, well, we sort of need it, need the oil in that, eh? and we can't really survive without it now, can we? So I think, yeah, unless you want to really go back to the push bike and horse and cart, well, got to go over the times, don't you? Jonathan Perry's family runs a 220 hectare dairy farm in Nare in Taranaki, where a drilling site on the neighbouring farm sits right on his boundary. If he's in his back hay shed while drilling is going on, he says the vibrations are like a carload of boy racers driving by blasting bass music. It divides the district. Is, is, is a concern. You get the people that allow the oil site onto their farms, they put it in their back paddock, furthest away from their house, and so they don't get the noise. And often it's right beside their neighbour's house or cow shed or where they work. And that's where the problem relies. The person that's getting the money for the um, renting of the oil site, not a problem to them because it's furthest away from their house, but their neighbour um, gets very little and gets all the, the noise and the flaring. And that's what splits the district. 
And to mitigate against another side effect of the fracking activity, the oil company has given Mr Perry's family blackout curtains to help block the light associated with flaring, which occurs when returning fluids are evaporated by a gas flare. Living not far from Mr Perry's farm is Murray Blue, a horse breeder and equine vet. He believes a pending drilling site on a neighbouring farm will hurt his business and his neighbour's quality of life. We foal mainly thoroughbred mares for clients to give them a safe foaling area. And our best foaling, that's one of the problems I had with this rig site plan, was that our best foaling paddocks, our closest and safest, are right by the entrance to where this rig road's going in. One's out there now waiting to foal, and she doesn't like it. Why don't they like it? Noise. Noise and vibration, the heavy trucks at the moment. What worried me though is the, the objection I had was the sudden noises which they can't guard against the oil company at night. Now if I'm dealing with a flighty mare in the middle of the night, they usually fold in the middle of the night, and we get bangs and clangs from the oil ring, well we don't know what's going to happen. So we're going to lose clients out of it for sure. Abby Jury describes herself as a gardener, writer and reluctant activist. She lives in the heart of Tukarangi, near Waitara, one of the most intensively drilled and fracked areas in the province. She says there are 13 well sites in Tukorangi, and three more possibly on the way. Her and her husband run a garden and nursery, best known for its magnolias, which are exported around the world. She took me for a drive around the community, pointing out what impact the oil and gas industry is having on it. When they were drilling Kofi B, you can see the rig over there on the seaside at the moment. Yes, yep. When they were drilling Kofi B, these people along here, all last summer, during that long hot drought, couldn't have their house windows open, couldn't have their ranch sliders open because of the noise um, for two, three months, all through that summer drought. None of them are deemed to be affected parties, it's all effects are less than minor. Then there's all the layers of infrastructure that come in. Um, one of the things that upset us particularly was this new set of high tension power lines we're just coming up to. Right, why did that upset are, you? Because <laughs> they march across the landscape with all the sensitivity of giant's feet. If you look up here, this little farm here, yep. I regard as like a a microcosm of Tikarangi. It's an old-style dairy farm. I think it's 100 acres, and they milk 120 cows on it, 130 cows. And on that farm, they have now got three sets of high-pressure gas pipelines and two sets of high-tension power lines. That's the infrastructure for the oil and gas industry. Abby Jury is part of a network of Taranaki farmers and environmentalists fighting against what they see as the destruction of their communities. They're also keen to share their experiences with those on the East Coast. Abby Jury says one target Tukurangi residents have united against is a drilling site known as Kofi C. This site should never have gone in. This was the one site this community said no to. It's too close to our community. We fought Fletchers out of here 15 years ago, same site. Same arguments, too close to the community, get further back. Too intrusive on too many people, too high a risk if anything goes wrong. So um, we really, we felt we could live with the other sites, all 12 of them, but not this one. So it was processed in secrecy. I mean, just how bizarre is that? We keep saying to council, you've got to deal with cumulative effects. It's not just one site. It's all these multiple sites which are ongoing. And of course, everyone involves tankers. They pipe, usually pipe the gas, um, but you get a mix of gas and condensate. 
condensate is often tankered out. The LPG is also tankered out. This ongoing construction, it's, it's not like they drill and it's all over. Every well site, the construction on them is major. And the more you have going on, the more intensive the impact is. And it's been really, really high impact in this particular part, which is why Todd coming in from the other side for this new well site was because we were just drowning here. And the school. I mean, there's a real issue with the school, everything passing our school. You know, where I understand there are issues showing up in terms of the stability. Well, the doors don't close anymore because of the amount of vibration and so on, which I have heard put down to the amount of heavy traffic passing it. But, yeah, who wants the heavy traffic? It's, there's a level of out of sight, out of mind. And this is just another petrochem truck. We get... The volume of heavy traffic is simply astounding. A common criticism of drilling and fracking protesters is that they are against progress. As one person in Taranaki put it to me, the anti-drilling and fracking tree huggers should stop driving cars and start riding horses. Gavin Fall's no obvious greenie. He runs a 400 hectare intensive dairy farm here in Tikurangi. He describes himself as a capitalist. And a photo of the Prime Minister John Key hangs proudly above the controls in the milking shed. But he is worried about fracking. He says despite having several drilling sites on the boundary of his farm fence, he's never had to sign a single consent from any local authority. And he believes the regulations surrounding fracking are too loose. So I just feel that um, we're all saying let's, let's make some money today and worry about the future generation can worry about themselves. And I'm saying it's time to stop and think. Not to stop development, but to stop and think. I realise we need to balance our payments. I realise you know, we need to get going as a small country, but I just think we're not being smart. I didn't even know what fracking they're doing, or what extent, because fracking is not at this stage a publicly discussed process. I'm not sure, and I'm just an emotional dairy farmer, I'm not sure whether it's even um, a complicated approval process, but you know, I just get worried about the public servants in a small provincial city who spend several months for me to get an approval to build a hay shed can understand what's going on five kilometres under the ground. Mr Fall has made it clear that if Fonterra ever stops collecting his milk because of fracking contamination, he'll be taking legal action against the oil company and local authorities. None of the East Coast drilling sites yet has consent to frack, but the Tararua Mayor, Roly Ellis, is confident that if fracking does go ahead in the district, it will, unlike overseas, go down without a hitch. We don't know that they're going to have to frack necessarily. Um, the other thing is, is that if they do frack, they're way below the uh, watercourses and aquifers, and uh, they won't frack until they get around 1,500 metres down and it's a long, long way below any of the watercourses. Having been in Taranaki and talking to lots of farmers there who are in areas surrounding drilling and, and fracking sites, that's their big concern, is, yep. uh, is their water you know, that they take for their farms and for their, for their homes as well. Oh, no, I mean, I understand that. Uh, I think that's been the problem, but to be quite honest, in Australia, and I, I've got an old girlfriend who's had that um, happen on their station out there, and uh, they fracked at very, very low depths, and certainly that's happened in America and Canada where any problem has been uh, found. Once you start getting to these big depths, it's a completely different type of um, fracking.
It's not yet clear to what extent drilling and fracking will be carried out on the east coast. But with oil companies saying publicly that they're gearing up for a large-scale drilling campaign in the region, it's likely many more rural communities, for better or worse, will soon be sharing their part of Aotearoa with the oil industry. I'm Benedict Collins, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight.